Welcome to another episode of the Father Ted Talk, broadcast here at the National Shrine of St. Elizabeth Ann Seton in Emmitsburg, Maryland. We are now offering virtual tours to celebrate the 200th anniversary of Mother Seton's death. These half-hour tours bring you within the home of a saint, and you can visit from the safety of your own home. Learn more at setonshrine.org slash virtual tours. Now here's Father Ted. So on this Valentine's Day, when everybody's talking about flowers and love and romance and Cupid, we're going to talk about leprosy. That's what the gospel's talking about. And the healing that comes up in today's gospel is something, it's very significant for the early church. And we know this because it comes up in all three of the so-called synoptic gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all bring up this exact same passage. And maybe it was significant because it's kind of an indirect proof of the divinity of Jesus. Since in the Old Testament, the belief was the only person that can cure leprosy is God. And here's Jesus curing leprosy. And so there's the conclusion is that Jesus is divine. But in order for us to really like grasp in a visceral way what is happening in this gospel, in order for us to appreciate just how incredible this is, it can be helpful for us to understand what Jesus was saving this man from. Like, what is this leprosy? Because thanks to modern medicine and antibiotics, we don't see a lot of people with Hansen's disease in our streets or in our hospitals even. But in the ancient world, there were no antibiotics. And so physically speaking, it was a really horrid affair where it began with a few patches of miscolored skin, and then these nodules began to emerge, these lumps, and they eventually started to spread over the different parts of the body, and they would grow, and they would eventually even come into the face, and they would start to release this pus from them. And the hair would start to fall off the person, their eyebrows from their head, they would start to lose their hair follicles, then their, their voice would become hoarse, and their breathing would become wheezy because of the ulceration of their vocal cords. And then on top of this, their muscles were being eaten away by this bacteria and their tendons were contracting. And it's basically a progressive death because none of this happened very quickly. This is something which you could be afflicted with for decades and little by little these effects would emerge and become worse and worse. And it culminates with the disease reaching the brain and there being mental decay and coma and then would come death. And that's just the physical consequences of this horrid disease. There were also incredible social consequences, like the ones that we heard in the first reading. They were quarantined. If you were diagnosed with leprosy, you were quarantined apart from the community in order to prevent contagion. So you had to leave behind your family, your hometown, your job. Everything is in the past. No more contact with any of them. And you had to go around wearing, wearing intentionally ripped clothing and disheveled hair so that people would be able to distinguish you. And if people did get close, or if you were traveling somewhere, you couldn't use the main highways, and you'd have to shout out unclean, unclean, if anybody did, in fact, come close to you. And so they were forced to practice a kind of extreme social distancing. 
the rabbinic law even laid down exactly how far. So we have the CDC, they had the rabbis. The rabbis said, if you were 100 feet of some, if you were downwind of somebody, you had to be 100 feet away from the leper. And not even religion could be a source of consolation for them because, like we heard in the first reading, the lepers were ritually unclean. They were forbidden from participating in the worship of the synagogue or the temple. So complete ostracization, completely cast off from society, and these were not just temporary provisions. You know, we sometimes complain about the masks and the hand sanitizer and the quarantines after the travel and the social distancing and the awkward inability to shake hands or anything. But these are all going to go away. If you were diagnosed with leprosy, this was for life and a much more extreme version. And so on top of this, or rather because of this, there was just that crushing hopelessness. There was no cure. What we heard in the first reading was basically the Jewish law about what to do with lepers. And it's all about diagnosis. Nothing is about remedy, nothing about curing. It's not as if they said, well, this herb maybe will do something, or perhaps this will take place. Or this is an extreme measure, but maybe, maybe it'll work. No, there was nothing. There was no, they had no idea how to treat this. It was so bad that in the medieval times, if you got diagnosed with leprosy, you would go to the church and the priest would pray the burial service over you before they sent you away. And so with all that in mind, I think it's a little bit easier to appreciate just how wondrous it must have been for this man in today's gospel who was essentially the walking dead insofar as society was concerned, and he comes into the Lord's presence and he receives immediately that cure. His body had been wasting away maybe for years, and it suddenly made whole again. He hadn't seen his family for who knows how long, and now he can once again be reunited with them. Nowadays, we don't have a lot of people with Hansen's disease, but we do have people suffering from something much worse. Sin. Sin is leprosy for the soul. That was a metaphor for sin that comes up in scriptures a lot. And the church fathers saw leprosy as an image of sin. And when St. Ignatius in his spiritual exercises is inviting us to meditate on sin, he says, imagine your body or rather, imagine your soul like a leper. So just thinking about all those physical deformities that we mentioned, that's what's happening in our souls when we fall into sin. Because they have similar effects. The, the body is disfigured, deteriorating because of, because of leprosy. The soul is also going to be disfigured. Sin makes us ugly. It makes us unattractive. You don't look at anybody ever and say, well, this person is just like, he's a, he's a really great gambler. Or he knows how to drink excessively. Or, you know, you don't praise that. You don't admire that. You don't look highly upon that. It doesn't make us even physically attractive either. St. John Maria Vianney wrote, If we were to see a soul in the state of mortal sin with the eyes of faith, we would die of horror. So it disfigures us like leprosy. The other thing leprosy does is it cuts us off from the community. It forces us to be separate from our families, our friends. Sin separates us from God. 
and the entire body of Christ. And if unchecked, both of them are going to end with death. And so there are consequences in this life for both, and there are also consequences in the next life for sin. And that's why we say that sin is even worse than leprosy, because it doesn't end with death. The consequences for a serious sin are eternal. So just like certain diagnosis, you know, certain people could be in denial about this reality which we're afflicted with. Good Lord willing, we're not afflicted with mortal sin, but if we are, that's even a worse uh, degree of the same sickness. But the gospel makes it clear that this man that we heard about, he knew that he was sick, so he goes to our Lord. He says, if you will, you can make me clean. That is to say, I'm not clean right now. There's something wrong with me. He knew that he was a leper. He knew that he needed healing. Now, what about us? Do we know that we are sinners? Do we know that we need forgiveness? Do we know that the power of God can heal us? Sometimes we can justify our sins. We can say, I'm not as bad as that person over there. He's worse. Or we can excuse ourselves by saying, well, it's only because they did this. That's why I sinned. It's their fault. And that might be true. It also might be true that Dairy Queen made you a diabetic. But identifying Dairy Queen, Dairy Queen as the culprit is not going to cure your diabetes. So it's important that we admit the reality. We are all loaded with sin. We can be thin-skinned. We can be egotistical, unforgiving, unloving, unkind, mean-spirited, selfish, greedy, lustful, jealous, envious, bitter, ungrateful, smug, angry, vengeful, unspiritual. Now, good Lord willing, not everything on that list applies to us, but something probably does. And so, like the leper in the gospel, we have to start by admitting there's something dysfunctional. There's something which needs healing in our lives. And once there, we apply the remedy. We go to Christ like the leper did. And notice that he violated the Mosaic law. He was supposed to stay away from people. In it, he runs into the presence of Jesus, he throws himself at his feet, and he begs him to heal him. And unexpectedly, our Lord reaches out and touches him. Everybody else was recoiling, that was what they were supposed to do, but our Lord makes contact with this man. Because our Lord knew that the disease from him would not infect Jesus, him but the cleanliness of our Lord would spread into him and cure him. Our Lord wants to heal us of our sins just like he healed this man of his leprosy. John Paul II said that our Lord cured people in order to reveal his power over sin. Because who alone but God can cure leprosy? And who alone but God can forgive sin? every confession that we make that ends with an absolution, we experience the power of Jesus Christ. Because the priest, in the moment of absolution, when the priest is pronouncing those words of absolution, he disappears, if you will, and it is Christ who tells us, your sins are forgiven. Now, regardless of what we've done or how long we've been stuck with the leprosy of sin, we go to our Lord. 
Luke tells us that this man was, quote, full of leprosy. Like every part of his body was afflicted by it. But yet it still just took a word from our Lord to cure him. And so regardless of where we are in life, how long it's been since confession, what we've fallen into, say but the word, O Lord, and my soul shall be healed. And let's learn from the leper's reaction is the final point. He was ecstatic. He didn't even think about what Jesus told him. Jesus said, don't tell anybody. And he spreads the news abroad, completely oblivious to what our Lord was talking about. There was so much joy there that he had to share it. And when we leave the confessional, there should be something similar. I'm made new. I'm clean. I'm whole. What was there is gone. I am reborn. And I have to let other people know. I have to bring other people to this, to this experience. People that are in denial. People that don't realize how serious their state of affairs is. People who don't think they can be forgiven. All of them need to be brought to the sacrament of reconciliation. To celebrate that great moment of union with their God, Lord, and Savior. We need to carry out an apostolate of confession. Because I think I'm the only one here that can celebrate the sacrament and minister it. But everybody here can bring people to it. Even if it's just a word, a suggestion, an invitation. I'm going to confession. Do you want to come with me? And so on this day, let us commit ourselves anew to taking advantage of that sacrament ourselves and then being apostles of the sacrament of confession, trusting that Our Lady is going to be working right at our side. We will plant seeds. She will pray for their fruit, for their, that they might give fruit, and our Lord will actually give the growth. O Mary, conceived without sin, pray for us who have recourse to thee.